Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast, where my identical twin brother and I share our thoughts and provide solutions for executives and professionals who want to become masters of speaking and communicating so that they can maximize their influence and impact. Yes, we are identical twins who happen to also be public speakers, executive coaches, and sales leaders. Our company, DSP Leadership Group, focuses on equipping leaders who want to speak with confidence and authority, all while using their authentic voice. Here on the Twins Talk It Up podcast, we present topics about communication and leadership from our perspective as individuals and as twins. Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Welcome to the show, everybody. Along with my twin brother, Danny Brown, I want to welcome you to another episode of the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Today, you're in for a special treat. A good friend of mine, Matt Blake, is joining us today. Matt is a thought leader and a sales trainer and is the owner and president of Blake Consulting and Selling. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Thrilled to be here. Matt, I want to definitely introduce you to our audience. But before we go into our topic today and what we're going to really dive into, take a moment to really introduce to our listeners who you are. Who is Matt Blake? What's your why? Sure. Glad to do it. So I like to say my real career began in 1996. So I am an entrepreneur by heart uh, and one of those entrepreneurs that you know flew by the seat of his pants uh, for many, many years. So I fell into the litigation support industry in 1996. Now, most people uh, do not know what you, but, but anything about litigation support. And that's not really important, but um, it, it, what is important that uh, we dealt with litig- with litigators and attorneys, which were, aren't the easiest people uh, to work with. And ultimately, I'm asked the first question I'm typically asked are are two questions. One is, "Are you an attorney?" And the answer is no. And they say, "Oh, the follow up question is, uh, you must be a paralegal. You have some sort of legal experience." Uh, and the answer to that is also no. I literally fell into a sales position. And what litigation support in my world, what that really meant is we collected information for attorneys for deposition and trial, such as medical records, employment records, scholastic records, did all the legal paperwork uh, for those cases as well. So basically, we supported uh, law firms with the information they needed in order to go to trial and deposition with. So as I said, 1996, joined a, a mid-sized company, and I grew uh, through that company uh, fairly quickly. I had, I had a real desire, not only to sell, but I wanted to run something. Ultimately, I wanted to be a business owner. And in the year 2000, uh, I had, had been promoted from, into a regional manager, so I was running an actual region for the company. And, and I had an opportunity in 2001 to actually buy my region oh, wow. uh, from the company. Uh, I took that opportunity. I was never afraid to take risks. I always felt uh, that it'll all work out. You know, if you work hard and, um, and that you, had, you were dedicated to what you do, it's all going to work out. And uh, what I found out over the next 17 years, uh, which we grew the company, over those 17 years from a regional based company to a company that was operating in multiple States. However, over the 17 years, it took a lot of lumps Mm. and, you know, it was interesting, uh, Danny and and David, not everybody worked the way I worked. Not everybody thought the way 
I thought. So I made many, many, many mistakes uh, along the way, whether it's how I managed people, how I, how I, um, how I spoke to people, my hiring practices, financial mistakes, but it was all really important to my actual growth and even dealing with clients, learning how to actual sell. I didn't realize that you actually had to learn um, how to sell something. I, again, I thought it was just a matter of people liking me and taking people out to, to lunch and, you know, everybody will buy. I'm a likable guy. Everybody's going to buy from me, right? Didn't realize I had to be a problem solver as well. So the long and short of it is that uh, I was fortunate enough to learn from my, my, my mistakes. I think there's two types of people out there, uh, one that dwells on their mistakes, others who learn from them. I can't say I never dwelled on them, but I, I do believe I was a fairly quick learner and I did I really wanted to learn lessons from them. So in 2012, I started to think to myself, is this something I really want to do? This type of company and this business is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And am I really happy? And the answer was no, that I started really wanting to do something while those was a great company, provided great life for me, had a great staff. It took years to, to, to build my staff to where it was. And the company was really self, was really operating on, a, you know, it was self-functioning at that point. And I, I wasn't as near, I didn't have to be as involved in the business as much as I once was. But again, I wasn't overly uh, thrilled and excited or even to get out of bed every morning to do what I do. So in 2016, I was approached to sell my company. And initially, uh, I turned it down. Mm-hmm. And a big reason was because of the people. I really, really was tight with my staff. Because again, we were ultimately, we weren't a huge company in terms of people. I had 20 people. And at, over time, as you know, as you guys know, you develop relationships with those folks. But the more I really thought about it, and really what I wanted to do in my life, it was, it was, it was not, it, it was not, it was something that I did, again, I just wasn't really excited about. And I was still young enough where I didn't need to, I, I had op- other opportunities that I wanted to pursue. So I, I ended up selling the company in, in 2017. And I went to go work for the company that bought mine, which was a much larger organization. Uh, I went there for 14 months I was on the executive of, of the committee of the, of the company. It was able to take my entire staff with me, nice. which, um, which was important to me at that time. So they all were able to have jobs and, and fit in with any organization. But after, after about, I would say, after really, truly about six months, I, again, I wasn't really wanting to be in the industry anymore, wasn't really excited about where I was. And what I realized that what I really wanted to be was a coach and mentor. And my enjoyment was to be able to help see other, uh, see other people's success. And that's what really led me to wanting to be a management coach and a sales trainer. Now, if you take sales, salespeople, um, you know, for an example, one of the, one of the reasons I decided to do what I do is I really wanted to work with salespeople where they, you know, they had the proper attitude and behavior and technique where they can have that, where they have the confidence to build trust with their buyers and they have an authentic sales approach to where they can have a collaborative sales approach with their, 
with their buyers where not only are the buyer's needs met, but guess what sort of salesperson's needs as well as the company's needs as well. So that's a, that's a long way of saying that that's what really led me to where I am today. That's a great thing. This is Danny, by the way. Um, Matt, I appreciate you breaking that down. One of the things that really stood out uh, was that not, not many people when they sell their companies are allowed to take all their employees with them. And one of the things that you stated before was that how much you were really close to your employees, how much you really valued them and why it was important to bring them on with you to this new organization. Um, can, can you expound a little bit more on that? Because to me, I think that ties into your why about why you love salespeople, why you love training people. It just seems to me that you're really a people person and the overall aspect of the, the health, the, the mental health, the financial health of the people around you, the people that you lead are very important to you. And you don't really get to see that today. I mean, you think about, there's a company called Gravity Payments. I don't know if you guys kept up with that company where the CEO gave a minimum wage of $70,000 to all of his employees. Wow. And this year during the COVID, the company said, the CEO said, look, we only have three months of run rate before we have, we're going to go out of business because people are not eating out as much anymore. They're not using credit cards as much. Um, so what should we do as a company? Because I don't want to lose anybody. And so all the employees volunteered to take pay cuts, to do this, to do that. And so they came together as a consensus, as a team. And then when the company was able to take off again, because now the economy is starting to pick up, he repaid all the employees back. And I wow. thought that was very phenomenal. So when I hear your, your, your story about your employees and how, why you didn't sell the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, so tell me a little bit more. What, what, what was it about your heart and your nature and why you cared so much about your employees? Because I feel like that's really what's missing in leadership today. The employees don't feel as if the leaders care about them, that they only feel like they're a number. Yeah, I, I agree, uh, Danny. We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Live Love Thanks. Live Love Thanks helps purpose-driven women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs to permanently eliminate clutter and end stress and overwhelm so they can move forward in their careers, relationships, and health. Visit LiveLoveThanks.com for impactful coaching and program professional women's. Today, we'd like to thank our sponsor, AppGallop where cloud meets commerce. AppGallop is a cloud commerce automation and marketplace platform, enabling service providers to drive revenue growth, achieve agility, and kickstart digital transformation. In fact, if you're in the telco space or you're an internet service provider, AppGallop will accelerate your time to the fast-growing cloud market, delivering all the top-selling cloud services to your customers with unified identity, access, subscription billing, and payment management. If you want to sell your cloud platform, you need AppGallop. If you have telco products, circuits, switches, hosting services, whether it's private cloud or public cloud, and you want to include AWS, Microsoft Azure, and Google, you want to make sure you use AppGallop, the one-stop platform for digital transformation. Thank you very much, AppGallop. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners. 20% off products or services on our website. Just send us an email with the subject line podcast, and we will send you that special discount code at dsbleadershipgroup.com. And now, let's get back to the episode. 
Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. The, the truth is, why I was important is because I made so many mistakes over time that I, I realized in order for me to be successful and, and the company to be successful, I really needed to take an active interest in the people that are working for me and really want to know something about them, not just about you know, the surface level stuff, really what, what makes them tick? What are their goals? What are they, what are they passionate about? And why, why do they want to work even for, for my organization? So over time, we work very closely together where that I, I really relied on them to, to bring their expertise into to be, for us to be successful. And as a result, our company wouldn't have been what it was. And it wasn't just me. It, you know, I couldn't have done it without them. And, and, and I shared that with the, with the buyers of my company that our success really came from them. And yeah, sure. We, the, I, had, I had a little part in it, but ultimately that in order for us, in order for us to keep our clients, in order for us to, for them to keep growing and, and to be a benefit to their organization, they, that, that this was crucial for them to be a part of it. And for them to buy in, to buy into the into the new culture, because as as you guys probably know, you know we had a certain culture. Now we were now going into a different culture. And a lot of times, cultures can it don't match, they don't align, and that can that can be a detriment to uh, any organization, especially when you're bringing others aboard. So the 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 idea being that if you want to, if we want to keep growing we, and, and get there, get them to share into the new organization, that it was important that they not only come aboard, but guess what? They, none of them took pay cuts. All of them had still had the autonomy to do what they needed to do. And um, the, the organization that bought mine saw the value in that. And um, I think made a really smart move by bringing everybody aboard. And, and it turned, and, and honestly, to this day, most of them are still with with the organization, so it's uh, it's actually been a win win for for not only my people but the, the organization itself. That's awesome. This is Danny again. I, I want to follow up on that because I feel like you, you hit on a point right there the autonomy aspect. Uh, there, there's so many, and I've run sales organizations. I've run global sales organizations all over the world, uh, where I've had to spend two three weeks in Asia and, and, and Europe, and just because I want to hit each of the region, each of my country directors. But one of the things that helped me, and, and I'm glad to hear it also was very successful for you, is the autonomy aspect. It takes a lot of trust to, to let your employees do what they do best and to have the freedom to believe that you believe in them, that they can go make decisions on behalf of what's best for mm-hmm. the company as well as what's best for the leadership. Uh, t- can you expound a little bit more about trust? Because I think that that company that purchased your company they, 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 they figured it out. They were like, wait a minute, you're doing something so unique and so different. Let's continue that into this, into this new cultural aspect of our company. So tell me a little bit more about that trust and how you're able to build it so quickly with your team and why the company that purchased your company was immediately able to see the impact of that and wanted to continue it on. Sure. Uh, it's a great question, um, uh, Danny. And, and, you know, from my perspective, I don't think enough leaders take an active interest in in their the, their people. Okay, and what I mean by active interest is 
I believe leaders build trust by understanding what what makes their people tick. And it, you know, specifically, uh, how many leaders really take the time to want to know what are the goals of their folks? And I'm not talking about company goals. We all have a habit as leaders who want to talk about company goals, what we want to accomplish, what the organization uh, wants to wants to, to uh, achieve. But the reality of it is people's personal goals are far more important to them than the company goals. So I think it first starts in to understanding what their goals are of, of being a part of the organization. What do they want to achieve? And we're, we're not only asking a question, hey, where do you want to be in five years? Okay. Um, it'd be much more deeper than that. Less than 5% of people actually write out goals. Mm-hmm. And understanding, you know, who they are and, and challenging your, even your employees, because oftentimes it's not going to, the, 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 you'll hear, you'll hear things such as from the employees, we ask what their goals are, David, you know, what's a goal? I want to make more money. Salespeople want to make more money, right? Always. So I used to give them, here's $10. You just made more money. Now what? Okay. So <laughs> it's to go deeper in that. It's to understand, okay, why do you want to make more money and, and share with me some of um, what do you want to achieve with that? What do you want your life to look like? In other words, what's the intention of what your life looks like? And I think once you can align people's personal goals with the company and say, okay, then what do we need to accomplish within the organization to meet your goals? Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, are they realistic? So I think, you know, when you, when you establish a realistic, what can be accomplished understanding your people, listening, being a, a, a better listener, not just telling people what to do, but actually listening to them. And then when, when they know, when, the pe- when your people know that you really are interested in about them and that it's safe for them to share information with you, I think that's where the trust begins. And then, of course, you got to cultivate that over time. I appreciate you sharing that, Matt. And, and we really are going to do a deep dive into corporate culture, how to build an organization's really what we call the face of the organization, how to build around people. Let me let me make a thought here and 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 really get your feedback on this. Stephen M. R. Covey, in his book entitled The Speed of Trust, he spoke about how trust is, well, at least at the speed of which it's established, is the most critical component of the success of an organization. He, he kind of made the point that if you remove trust, you can see economies fall apart. The strongest governments fall apart. Uh, relationships fall apart. But he talked about how if you have trust, if it's developed the right way and you leverage it the right way, that it's the most important factor to success. And what was interesting, Matt, he actually talked about trust being a different type of currency that is the most important currency that a business should have. What do you say about looking at building organizations? Have you done this with your group? That that was indeed the currency that you established so much to the point that the company that bought your business kept everybody on board. Yeah, I mean, again, where we're, to have trust, right? The way I look at it is you can't have deep conversations if you don't have trust. Yeah. And the reality is when you have people that come to meetings or come to situations where they're just not sharing information that the leaders want to hear, 
right? That they feel safe enough that, to talk about real problems or even call out the leaders themselves uh, about where they're gonna question decisions. They're gonna question where they're gonna question maybe even initiatives that are, are being done where they're, 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 they, are, they are bringing their expertise, they're bringing where they feel they're in a safe environment where they can have a productive conversation doesn't mean they're always going to get what they want out of it, no. but that they are, that they are, they have the autonomy again to make decisions. I think that the biggest part about trust is when people are not afraid to make decisions. Yeah. How many organizations have you been a part of where the people will not make a decision without the leader and the leaders that oftentimes I call them rescuers, mm. right? If you take sales managers, for an example, how many times are sales managers rescuing their people? Yeah. Where they come in and, and they they bring a situation or, or it's going on with a prospect or with a buyer and the, and the, and it's, and the leader says, okay, here's what you want to do. Do, 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 do. And what are they learning? What are the people learning? Or they end up jumping in themselves to try to fix the situation where people aren't afraid to make uh, uh decisions but more importantly they're not afraid to make mistakes and the 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 reality of it is if they make a mistake every mistake is correctable typically and again what are you learning from your mistakes because to me what what i used to say to my folks all the time if we're not making mistakes we're not growing Mm. so i mean because you know you can't grow unless you're making a mistake it means you're not taking risks you're not stretching yourself and getting people to, to really get comfortable with that and ultimately, uh, I think that's where trust really be, where you really, you know, it, you have trust where people aren't afraid to make mistakes and they're not also afraid to make decisions. That is awesome. Uh, this is Danny, by the way. I want to, I want to expound upon that in a unique way. Uh, we, 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 we spoke about trust from an employee's perspective, right? Where they're not afraid to make a decision. And as you stated earlier, decisions are allowing you to grow. And most decisions you can recover from are, it's not that big of a, a catastrophe. Uh, so when we think about trust in another way as well, how do you, from a leadership perspective, how, how have you been able to get executives at corporations? Great question. I mean, because it's like, it's easy to, to help. You've done it for employees, but how can you help executives mm-hmm. and tell business owners and leadership, look, you gotta be the one to exude the trust. Yeah. Don't wait for the employees to trust you first. You have to be the one to exude the trust because it's so easy for an employee to trust you, to follow you, because you set a great example, Matt. You, they followed you to the new organization, all that other stuff. But now that you're in the executive leadership role, you have your own consulting firm, you're speaking to business, leader, business leaders all over the U.S. How are you helping these individuals to, to basically showcase trust first? Sure. Well, it, it begins with, a question I, 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 I typically ask is when we, when talking to, to executives and other business leaders, I ask them how they run their meeting, what, what run their meetings, how, how, what did a conversation sound like? And for, so for an example, if you take a, again, I'll use a sales manager's position for, for, for a second is when they, when they debrief their sales calls and sales meetings, I said, tell me about it. Tell me, how, how do you know what a qualified opportunity is? How does your reps know what a qualified opportunity is? You know, oftentimes what I hear, Danny, is sales rep 
reps will will come to a meeting and as well as any other employees and somebody will ask well you know again going back to a sales rep sales rep so if i'm asking david he's the sales rep so david how do you feel the meeting went okay the reality of it is it doesn't matter how they feel it went and by the way most salespeople out there if they're not they don't feel safe the last thing they're going to do is share bad news yeah right they're going to just share a good they're going to just share what the manager wants to hear so i think what it begins with is being consistent you know consistency it is we all want structure yep. regardless of what people say is, is having a consistent structure. So in other words, where, where trust begins is setting the expectation, but not just, not just the leader's expectation, but understanding from what they expect from their people. In other words, what, what, what do you need from your people to come to me? What kind of information is going to be required of them? so that it's very consistent what they need to, to bring and why that's important. And also from knowing what's gonna be helpful for your people when we have meetings, because I know a pet peeve of mine when I joined that larger organization, we had meetings upon meetings upon meetings upon meetings. So many of them were meaningless, mm. okay? So I think by understanding who you're meeting with, understanding their, understanding what, what your expectations are, what their expectations are, and what they want to get out of it, what's going to be helpful for them, and always defining what the outcome of that conversation or that meeting is going to be. And having a set structure each and every time, because anytime somebody comes to a meeting or a conversation where there's any type of uncertainty that leads to anxiety. Yeah, yes. And when you make it safe that, and make it very clear what we're going to cover, why we're going to cover, and it's mutually agreed upon uh, leaders. Again, how many of us love being told what to do? And so I think once you understand what's mutually uh, agreed upon. And, and more importantly, if you're going to set and getting your people to think also when you're setting goals or you're setting an agenda, getting their input, getting them to ask him questions like, Hey, uh, share with me what you expect can happen out of X, Y, and Z. And then, and then have a follow-up question. Can you share to me, is that doable? Is that reasonable? Is that, and why do you, ultimately feel so comfortable in being able to accomplish that that gets people to share into your vision gets people to to feel safe feel get people to really then they're buying it because if they say it if you're if your employee says it they're going to buy into it much quicker not something you're telling them uh what to do. It's like telling your kids what to do all the time right uh they have to discover on their own many times why uh, something is important. It's no different from your, from any of the folks that any of your employees or any of your uh, direct reports, they got to discover on their own why it's important to, to achieve certain objectives that the organization wants to accomplish. I totally agree with that. This is Danny, by the way. Um, I, I, it hits home with me, your example. I used to lead quarter, quarterly briefing reviews with my team. We had to do our forecasts, year-end calls, and when you're running a, a sales organization for an organization that's global and you have to meet with each region, one of the things I've always had to do is uh, basically trust 
that the direct the, the country directors that they're reporting accurate forecasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I can use Salesforce all day long. I don't know what CR tools other people use to get a number, but I don't trust that all the time. What I trust is what's coming out of the mouths of my, my leadership team. Mm-hmm. And I trust them because I've given them the freedom to give me bad news <laughs> so that we can grow. Yeah. And one of the things you had stated very well is that you had set, you had set the environment ahead of time. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with leaderships, leaders around the U.S. who don't really get involved with their team. They just look at numbers all day long behind a screen. And then at the end of the quarter, hey, why didn't you make your numbers? Or, hey, we're going to put you on a pit because you didn't do well. Well, yeah. they weren't really actively engage. And this goes back to Dave had set up a quote, which is uh, earlier uh, from Mr. Covey. And Warren Buffett said another quote. He said, trust is like the air we breathe. Uh, when it's present, nobody really notices it. But when it's absent, everybody notices it, <laughs> right? So Warren Buffett is one of the thought leaders uh, of the world today. The guy still lives in the same house. He still eats McDonald's every morning for breakfast. You would, it was like, man, this guy's unique. This guy's different. But the fact that he has 300,000 employees globally, 16, uh, $162.5 billion, billion dollars in annual revenue. And this is what he said. He views trust as a core component of his business strategy. And you have eloquently stated that when you're sitting down with an employee and you ask them a question, well, how do you see this? What do yeah. you think about this? What we're trying to do is get employees to really get involved and ask deeper questions, open-ended questions to start understanding, hey, I'm not just reporting a number. Why did the, why did the call go this way? Why did it happen this way? And why did it go this way? So the fact that you're asking your employees to get more in depth, to be more open about what they're thinking and how they're thinking and setting an environment where it's okay to not know the answer. It's okay to not have met the results. It's okay to express disappointment. You just don't hear that today in the environment. You don't really see that at all. I yep. mean, so when you're, when you, Matt, when you're helping these leaders hire people and you're helping these leaders to mentor and grow the existing employees, what is that trait or what is that quality you're, you're helping them to be able to see beyond just a nice suit and a tie? I mean, what are you looking at and how are you educating them to look at an individual today? And, and Matt, before you share, this is David. Could you also speak to the importance of open-ended questions? Because it sounds like to me, part of establishing trust is really learning how to communicate differently as a leader to your teams and to your your employees. So I think that uh, if if we talk about what you're looking for when you're talking to a a uh, you know a possible candidate of hiring or or you know when you're interviewing people is I believe firmly that when you're, when you're asking questions or, you know, what you really want to pay attention to again, how passionate are they? What, what's their body language look like uh, when they're, when they're sharing information, our body language, by the way, is, is, is the, the loudest way we speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really important. It's tough in today's world when we're doing the zoom calls and, and video conferencing, but, Again, I, I think when when you when you're speaking with somebody, and to anybody, when when somebody when you're asking questions like those open-ended questions, but then getting the people to share real-life examples. Mm-hmm. In other words, if they, if X, Y, and Z happened, if this problem happened, and you're experiencing it, you know, not not only asking the question, how did you handle it, but 
asking questions like, give me a real life example of when this happened and how did you respond and understanding how they deal with stress, how they deal with making decisions, how they deal with communicating with people. If you get real life examples and then understand, you know, what the impact of whatever happened was and what they learned from it. And again, and, and, and because oftentimes when, when people are interviewing folks, do they really give them the, the full picture of what's going to happen in their position? Yeah. Right. So again, going back to, uh, again, I'll go back to sales. How many people talk to their salespeople to say, there's nothing, there's no other, you're not, you're not going to have another job. that's going to have more emotional highs and emotional lows than being a salesperson. And how do they deal with that? Like what, what are, what are the, what are the, the, you know, how are they going to manage that? So the, you know, I think again, real life examples, getting to, to, to really understand the way they think, the way they communicate and are they going to be afraid to communicate bad information to their manager? And because the last thing you want, and, and Danny, you said this is you want, you want the, as a good leader, you want, you want all information. Yeah. Not just, not just, not the information you just want to hear. You want all information, and you also want their ideas mm-hmm. of how to fix something and and why they think the way they think. So, uh, I don't know if I'm quite answering your question, uh, uh, David. Uh, and and uh, but again, I think when you're when you get somebody to open up and they're able to, you really can dive into the way they they deal with certain situations mm-hmm. and be able to get them to express their solutions and, and their thought patterns. I think that goes a long way to really get to know somebody. I appreciate you sharing that. This is Dave, by the way, I think Matt, your point to not just having open-ended questions, but really learning to ask the right type of questions to give them the platform, the ability to be comfortable, just to share what's on their mind to be able to share their own ideas, their own solutions, and not feeling like they're going to have consequences or there's going to be some type of repercussion because they said the quote unquote wrong thing. And that's really how you build trust. But let me throw this out. We're in this age of the health pandemic. We've had social injustice going on. We've had the economy struggling in our country. Trust really gets exposed through times of challenge. Mm -hmm. So when you're dealing with executives, when you're dealing with business owners, Matt, how often does this come up about this exposure to risk, this exposure to the health pandemic, how this has challenged their ability to keep trusting in the people that they have? All the time. It's, it's, it's the, the challenge now is that we're not face to face, right? We're not and in, in, in with together. And again, as, that I think that separation in itself is a challenge. And there's a lot of leaders out there who are now remotely managing their, their their people, and I think it's more important than ever to have consistency. And you can't get away from what you were doing before. You got to adjust. And so I think it's really important. If you're going to have, when you have meetings, that you're not afraid to talk about the, the topics at hand that everybody's facing right now, everybody's concerned with. You can't avoid them, right? And the, the reality of it is that 
I know for some of the organizations that I work with, it's been a real, real challenge to have people scattered throughout the world and they're not meeting face-to-face. They're not meeting their customers face-to-face. They're not meeting their people face-to-face. So I think it's really important where when you have your, when you, when, when you are conducting meetings, again, that you have consistent meetings, the the leader can't miss meetings, cannot not be on time. Uh, That's the worst example you could ever show as far as I'm concerned, consistent meetings. And, and during those meetings, again, it, it is, and I know I'm repeating myself, you have to have a safe space in my mind where the folks that you're, you're working with have an opportunity to share you know, anything you just mentioned, whether it's hap- whatever's happening outside of with the pandemic or what's happening in, with current events um, that are good and bad and allow them to share with what's, what's going on and listen. See, too many leaders out there are not listening to, to their folks. And the most effective communicators, and you can do any research on this, listen 70% of the time, okay? Mm-hmm. They're doing less talking and more listening. And as, you, as you're listening and letting them, because as they're talking, the biggest way you know you have trust with somebody is when they're talking. And if they're not talking in your meetings, chances are you don't have trust. Mm-hmm. So as long as they're talking and then in, in the end, there's always an outcome. There's always next steps that are going to happen that are clear with both, with everybody involved. So one of the, one of the, uh, the techniques that I've used in my meetings, at the end of our meeting, I will always pick on uh, somebody or at least two or three people to then repeat back to me what are what are the next steps what are the outcome from this meeting and what are we going to talk about the next time we get together so there's two things for our next meeting we already have objectives set for our next following meeting that we're going to have second is getting them to share what they took away from the meeting action items they took away and what are what are what are next steps and when that happens, I know that they're engaged. Yeah. And I, and and lastly is again, too many leaders want to just tell everybody what to do and then they just leave. How many times have you talked to a leader where they say, I've told them we go over the same things over and over and over and over and over again. And what I say to them are, is that because you're telling them to do this or because uh, they share back with you what what they took away from from the meeting. So I'm telling them again. Yeah. How many of us love being told what to do? It goes back to when we were kids. How many t- how many times do you love being told by your parents, even if they're right? Um, you know, how many times as you as you grew up, you you think back to what your parents told you about do X, Y, and Z, and then you're like, all of a sudden you're you know you're 20 years old. And you're like, ah, oh, now that makes sense. Yeah. But the people have to buy in. They have to share. And and I think, again, I can't stress enough. They have to feel comfortable to, to talk. Yeah. We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Paul Jackowitz of pauljackowitz.com. For all your website design and management needs, visit Paul Jackowitz 
That's Paul, J-A-C-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z.com. Thank you for checking out the Twins Talk It Up podcast. If you're enjoying this program and are learning something along with us, please consider becoming a supporting member through our Patreon at patreon.com slash DSB Leadership Speaking. Also consider leaving a great rating on iTunes and comment on our other platforms. If you would like more information or would like to become a guest on a future episode, please send a message via our website, www.dsbleadershipgroup.com. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners for a free consultation over the next two weeks. Visit our website and schedule your free 30-minute consultation. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. Matt, I appreciate you sharing that. This is Dave again. And let's talk about the impact of trust because we're, we're hearing this through your responses to the questions we're asking and you're giving us great examples of how leaders can really look back at their meetings, look back at their conversations to say, is this really hitting home? Do I really have a connection? Am I building trust? But how does trust truly impact performance and productivity? You talk about not being able to see your clients, not being able to get out there and do sales to traditional way. I would have to imagine trust goes a long way to be able to get that sale again or renew that contract again, but it also has to go a long way to impacting how your people perform, right? Mm-hmm. Well, can I give you a real life example, David? Please. So here's how I would define trust. I, from my last company, one of my production managers was a guy that uh, was not a was not a big communicator. He kept to himself, and oftentimes he could be very abrasive. But we had to learn how he communicated. How what was his preference for communicating? Mm. And he didn't like long emails. Mm. So the person that he reported to, the way he would direct information to him or send you know uh even ask questions over always through email and my my production manager took that the wrong way he took like oftentimes that he's being attacked being questioned and again not having a simple conversation and what we realized was i pulled both groups in to figure out okay what what's the best way we can communicate what do you, what's your preference of communicating and because of emails and texts and so on. So if you can't tell the emotion behind um, those emails, texts, and so on. And it was a very simple thing that the, the, the reality was he's, that the, my production manager said, I prefer a conversation. Hmm. And I prefer if, if, if we're going to change something or you have a question, hmm. uh, I really want to understand why. Because every time I'm questioned, he said this, every time I'm questioned, I feel like, that I'm not being again trusted. I feel like that people are questioning my work ethic, my they're questioning my ability. And from the manager's perspective, he's like, I'm, I'm not thinking like that at all. I think you're doing a great job. I think so on and so forth. So there was miscommunication. 
So after we realized by just, because again, they weren't in the same office, um, that by picking up the phone and having a 10 minute conversation and where there's context behind why certain things were happening, it changed the demeanor of my production manager. So this was a guy who then took upon himself. He would come in on Saturdays, Sundays, unbeknownst to anybody. Wouldn't even half the time I have to get upset with them because I'm like, look, you have to get paid. They come, you just can't come in. And, and he didn't, he wasn't even look, looking for compensation. He was, he did it because he didn't want, he always wanted his Mondays to be set. He didn't want to be anything behind. And in my industry, and I'm really proud to say this, mm-hmm. and this is a credit to him because truth be told, we were dealing with records, scanning and uploading information and, you know, to our web portal and that kind of thing. And he was with me for 12 years and his staff and, and him had only in 12 years, I think they had three mistakes wow. of uploading information, which is unheard of in my industry. They, they were so good at what they did. And it was a mundane job. It wasn't something that necessarily was, there was, was fun to do. Um, it wasn't easy to do, but just that little adjustment on how we were communicating and understanding how each other's preference was to communicate, including the manager who wanted to email. He had to adjust though. They, the, the leader had to adjust mm-hmm. to, to how to communicate to, to his employee. And, you know, all of a sudden having the, the, this employee now feels appreciated. feels like he's being listened to. feels like he's now buying into what the company wants to accomplish and is taking all this responsibility on his own without any direction, all because we, we took the time to just understand, okay, what's, what's the bottleneck here? How can we communicate? How can we adjust? Because as I said earlier, the biggest lesson I learned, you know, as running a company, not everybody is going to think the way I think. Not everybody's going to behave the way I think. I, although I thought that. I thought if I could lead by example by just working hard, everybody's going to follow me. That's not, and, and that's not going to be the case. And for anybody who's going through that, that's not going to be the case. I mean, it's it, again, it's taking an active interest in understanding how people communicate and how, as a leader, you you adjust uh, to your people. It's not them always adjusting to you, because again, if you want them to share into what you want to accomplish, I believe it's the leader's job to do that, yeah. to, to adjust to the, to the people who who are that you want them to share into what you want to accomplish. This is Danny, by the way. Um, thanks, Matt. appreciate that. I, I think one of the things you said that really hit home with me is the aspect of it, it does take time. There are a lot of leaders that are, I wouldn't say lazy. They're just not inspired to get to know each of their employees and understand what makes them tick. As you were talking about the production manager and how the, the production manager communicates uh, I like to call them love languages, right? Uh, people have a different love language. They like to be disciplined or talk to one way, either by email or directly. Other people like to communicate another way. So everyone's different. You can't yeah. treat everybody the same. And, and specifically in sales organizations, I've noticed uh, people always like to hire the same type of sales reps. And then they believe that all the sales reps perform one way. They all need to be communicated one way. They all care about one thing. And what you've found is that a lot of the sales organizations will have one top dog and everybody else will be so underperforming 
-hmm. it's not really a good accurate representation of how the organization is doing because it's breaking even. And so one of the things I hear you state over and over again, even with your personal example, you're always getting to the point where you're getting to know each of your employees. You know what they need, what they do well, how they like to be communicated, how they communicate back with you and to the rest of the people on the team. It takes a lot of effort for leaders to do that. Uh, and for me, when I was leading global organizations, I did a lot of traveling, uh, a lot of traveling to the point where I, I told my wife, look, our kids cannot be going to school anymore. They have to be homeschooled because I want to take the family with me when I go on some of my trips. And I do this because I wanted to get to know my employees, even from a cultural perspective. Managing employees in the U.S. is one thing. Managing global employees with different cultural aspects, right. how they like to be spoken to. Even when I was in Japan, I can never... Uh, encourage or discipline my regional director in front of it, in front of the team. I always had to be pulled to the side. Yep. And, and, and they, and in India is one thing where the, everything they do, everything's perfect. Everything's great. It's like, no, everything's not perfect. Everything's not great. And if you give them a challenge, yeah, we can do that. We have it done by tomorrow. I was like, no, that's, that's a three month project. What are you talking about tomorrow? So there's all this aspect going on and you hit it home. You have led teams and you stated the example, you've gotten to know each of your employees, you understand how they work, even the fact that one of your employees came in on the weekends, just to make sure that the week was set up perfectly, only had three mistakes in three years. That's phenomenal. Now, we have to sit down with leadership, and, and I know you do this now in, in your consultant practice. How are you telling leaders in a very politically correct way, hey, stop being lazy, go out there, <laughs> earn the trust of your employees, get to know them? I'm, I, how are you doing that? Because for me, I don't have time. I'm, I do a lot of uh, work with startups and I, I sit down with the leadership team and I just tell them, hey, look, you need to do this, this and this. And you need to do it now or don't just don't have a team. I, right. I don't have time to play around. I, I'm, I'm in that startup one or two days a week. That's it. And mm -hmm. so how are you getting that message across in a nice political way? without <laughs> feathers? Well, it, it all starts with you know, are they willing to change? Because to tell you the truth, I won't work with anybody who's not willing to make changes. And, mm -hmm. and I think it starts there is to really understand what, are, what are they, what, again, what do they want to accomplish? Why do they want to accomplish it? And are they willing to change? Are they willing to look, to look at themselves yeah. and their, and their organization and, and in order to make those changes. And again, it comes down to, how upfront are they with their with with everybody that is within their organization? And in other words, you know, I one of the questions I'll ask them is, "Tell me about your employees. What do you know about them?" Wow. And and you know, oftentimes I'll get surface level information, and then I'll ask even more specific questions. Okay, when's the when's the last time you've met with them to look, to review their goals? And what are, what do they want to accomplish, and what are they, and, and how are those goals of of, of the company meeting uh, their personal goals? And I'll get them to give examples. Ninety percent of the time, ninety five percent of the time, you know, you know, the answer is we haven't. I haven't. I, I haven't. I don't have time. I don't have this. I have, don't have that, and so on and so forth. So, what I say to leaders that at least 45 to 50% of the time they should be mentoring and coaching and not managing. That's an effective leader. Okay. There's a big difference between managing and coaching and mentoring. So 
it begins with the fact that the, that, that they have to make changes and and really wanting to ha- take the effort to to um, meet with their people, understand them, because it's pretty funny, Danny. I have people I, I, I've met with my leaders that have told me my my people just don't they, you know they just don't my my people don't work hard enough. Mm-hmm. My CS people don't know how to close. You know that I hear those things all the time. And, you know, I'll turn around on them and I'll say things like that just can't be true. And they, and they're shocked. They say, they, they say, what do you mean that can't be true? I said, you wouldn't pay people every two weeks to show up to do nothing. You, you just wouldn't do that. Okay. I, I said, I just have a hard time. And I said, do you honestly believe that the people that you have come to work and say, you know, I can't wait to come to work and do nothing today. Yeah. That, that makes them feel good. I said that, this is one or two problems. And one is that you, you, you flat out are not do you're not hiring the right people. Right. Or the, the second is you don't really know your people. And so again, it's, 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 it's calling them out basically to say, look, what are you doing to, to take those extra steps and, and building that culture? Cause it is, it's a culture. It's a, it's a culture in which, that the people share in with what you want to, they share into your visions and your goals. And, 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 and the last thing I'll say is another question I ask quite a bit is if, if I brought all your people in and sat in front of me and say, okay, everybody recite to me, what's the vision of this company? What is the vision and what are you looking to achieve? And why is that important? You know, are they all going to, are they all going to say the same things? And if not, why not? And again, most of the time, it's like they don't know what they're going to say. It's just like the salespeople. You know, you have salespeople out there. I ask them again when when they go out and they and they give their you know their elevator pitch or their thirty second commercial. What do they say? And is it all the same thing? Most I have no idea what they're saying. Okay, you think it's important that you do know they're representing your company and they're representing your brand and the value you bring to the, to the marketplace. Do you think that's important to know? And so they have to, they, the leaders have to have a, a willingness to change and adapt. And not only adapt, they got they, they have to adapt over time because things are going to change. People are changing. Millennials are different. You know, we all come from different backgrounds and different and, and understanding that and having the willingness. I think the key word there is the willingness to take that, to, to go ahead and work towards that and willingness to change and a willingness to want to know who, who, who your people are. I agree, man. I appreciate you sharing that. That's a great point. Uh, I will say that what I'm hearing and really gathering from your spirit is that when you develop the right culture and your employees feel that they're at ease to be able to share their thoughts, share their input, that is a more productive, it's a more energetic, it's a thriving organization. And it goes back to what you're saying earlier. You should hire the right type of people in the very beginning. What do you say to those organizations that are right now needing to, through this COVID pandemic, um, either retrain, relearn? How do you go back and really rebuild and reestablish this trust if you know at the end of the day that this COVID and health pandemic is exposed that some of those guys shouldn't be on your team? Are, the, are, are those people you still need to invest in? 
are those people that you need to go ahead and, and retrain? Uh, how do you handle what you've shared earlier and how do we go forward from this time? Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of hiring the right people, I, I will tell you the mistakes that I've made in the past is I hired people that I, uh, based on my gut. Mm. They said the things I wanted to hear. Uh, they look like the people that I wanted them to look like. Mm. And I will tell you, it was a disaster. Okay, I'm, I was the worst person hiring anybody because, uh, and by the way, my nature is I want to give everybody a shot. <laughs> so if they, if they say the right things, right? So again, you got to define your onboarding process and you have to, mm-hmm. and, and getting input from others is huge, as you guys probably know. But also, you know, what kind of success profiles have you developed that fit into your culture? In other words, what kind of assessments are being done? How are you getting real data and capturing that information to, to understand th- what a success profile looks like? So in other words, not only just, not only just going through a interview process, but also I'm a big believer in, in working with clients. So one of the, one of the, one of the uh, exercises I did with my clients is I will ask them pinpoint to me who you who you believe are the most successful, you know some of the most successful people in your organization based on again it could be sales management uh, operations whatever, and they'll tell me Susie Johnny, and I said well what makes them successful, and they'll, they'll explain to me so. What I think is important in terms of having a process again everything should have a process including how you're going to hire people. So what we've done is we actually do behavioral and competency assessments of the most successful people in, in each area. And we develop a success profile that is real data. It's real information so that when they, they can actually look, it's, it's an MRI of this person that's coming aboard. And it's been hugely successful finding the right people to do that. So it's just not going off of a, uh, off of a, a gut feeling or just based on how I how that person shows up and 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 uh, looks and sounds and feels when you interview them. You're also getting real in real data, and you can match that up with other people you have in your organization that are already successful. And is this person going to fit in our culture? Because again, if they interview well, and in the end, when you have real data that you could that you that you can use, mm-hmm. that um, it should match up, it should all come into a line. And if it's not, for some reason, guess what? And you still like that person, you can follow up with some really good questions and and determine from there what you know why they may have uh, scored a certain way in a certain in a, in a certain competency or behavior. So I think ha- understanding having a clear understanding, what are the behaviors, what competencies do we need for our people to be successful in an organization? Also, how to fit into our culture. That's, that has, uh, to me, I didn't have all that when, uh, for years in my other organization. Um, over time, we developed that, and it, it really helped not only, not only bring the right people in, but attract them to the organization as well. Um, and people learn something about themselves 
each and every time as well. And lastly, I'll say about it, it also shows the areas that they're strong in, weak in, and then as, as an organization, what it, how do we make their strengths stronger and how do we, what then we know ahead of time, what weaknesses we have to work on uh, in order to, to achieve, help them achieve, but also for the organization to achieve as well. I appreciate it. That's fantastic. I love it. And it's been really encouraging to, be able to hear you share from your experiences. Also share what you're doing now to help professionals, business owners, and leaders really shape their organizations as a whole. And ultimately, you want to have processes in place. You want to have the right things going in motion so you continue to bring in the right type of professionals, right type of leaders. And you're really building and establishing a great culture. Overall, this is what I believe we've got to really go forward in the next really post-COVID environment or even still COVID environment is building this spirit of trust. Uh, Matt, I want to thank you for joining us today. I, I definitely will leave information uh, for our viewers to be able to find out more about you. You've got an incredible story and you're very, you're very humble about it because you haven't even gone into all the great things that you've been able to accomplish in your life. And I appreciate that about you. So if you are interested in following our podcast, please subscribe, give it a five-star rating. You could also look to giving a commercial spot, becoming a sponsor, go to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash DSB Leadership Speaking to get more information on how you can help sponsor our program. On behalf of my twin brother, identical twin brother, Danny Brown, I want to thank Matt for joining us today. Matt Blake, you're awesome. We're grateful for you. We thank you so much for sharing with our audiences today, and especially the leaders out here, how they can really establish trust and use that as the right type of currency going forward. So I want to say thank you again, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Matt. Thank you being here. And, and Danny, dude, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Well, we appreciate you again, and uh, we look forward to seeing you guys again on our next episode. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at DSB Leadership and visit us online at dsbleadershipgroup.com to learn more about our workshops and trainings. We will see you on the next episode of the Twins Talk It Up podcast.